The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Hi, I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome back to This Is Working. On this show, we talk to leaders who help us rethink trends and reshape the way we see our world. Today, my guest is Eddie Huang. Eddie has long been a believer that the only path worth following is the one you make yourself, and he lives by example. Eddie lost his job as a corporate lawyer in the Great Recession and emerged a media and food maven. He opened a celebrated New York restaurant, he started a vice show, he wrote a memoir called Fresh Off the Boat. That memoir then became a hit ABC sitcom, and now Eddie is making his directorial debut with the movie Boogie. But no matter the job, the idea, or the industry, Eddie has used his influence and his unique voice to make pointed commentary on the Asian experience in America and the importance of finding happiness with yourself. Here's our conversation. Congratulations on your uh, directorial debut. In a normal time, I assume that you would be going to movie theaters and kind of hiding out in the back and watching to see what the crowd reaction is. How are you keeping tabs on how the movie's doing? It's funny. I, I read reviews the first few days and then they all start to repeat themselves. You know, it's either people in the middle of nowhere that don't understand like an intersectional kind of futuristic downtown New York, or it's people in the cities that love it and get it. And, and they're the people I'm speaking to. And, uh, you know, it's great, but I'm, I'm funny. I gave myself a week to enjoy it, to indulge in all of the kind words and reception and, and I got back to writing on Sunday. So I spent Sunday writing, working on my other script and I box a lot. And something my trainer Julian always tells me is don't admire your work. Like sometimes you hit somebody, if you leave your hand out, the next punch is coming right back. So you, you throw the punch and come right back. And that that's really my mentality in life. And I, I think it served me quite well. I never really admire my work too long. I've actually <laughs> left most of my jobs and or got <laughs> fired. And, uh, you know, there hasn't been much time to admire the work. I feel amazing, but I'm more just excited to get back behind the camera and to, to apply everything I learned because uh, you learn so much on your first film and I, I just can't wait to do it again. All right, I want to talk about what comes next, but first let's go back to how this movie got made. How were you able to create a first time film? It, it was difficult, actually, Daniel. When you are trying to sell a film that the market or Hollywood isn't looking for, you have to really reel them in. And part of this was that post Fresh Off the Boat, post Crazy Rich Asians, there was a market for Asian film, but it was bigger Asian film. And I saw how we needed something for Asian American men like myself. So you look at the market, you look at the white spaces, and I was like, what is one of the great, I guess, white immigrant stories in America? And it's Rocky. You know, you look at Rocky, and Rocky is a sports film, but to me, I'm not watching it for the boxing. Boxing's terrible in that film. But what I'm watching it for is the journey through Italian America, Philadelphia. It's amazing. It's, it's one of the best films taking little pocket scenes. I mean, like there's the pet shop Adrian works at, there's the gym, there's Rocky as like a small time crook collecting money, you know, and he's too nice to collect the money. 
And I wanted to do that. I wanted to take people on a ride through Asian America, but not just in traditional Asian America, but the, the home I grew up in, the types of things I did, but then how I journeyed outside and also intersected with Black culture. And that's a film that Hollywood really like didn't understand. Like, wait, it's a traditional Asian kid that really grew up with Black culture and, and got guidance from Black culture in America. And then he plays basketball. It's tough. So I, I really was like, we're selling a sports film, but this sports film is like the, the ACE train. And you're going to see all the pockets of New York as we go through it. But Eddie, it's not only that you were making a film that Hollywood wasn't asking for. You are someone who has been in the past critical of the entertainment industry. When Fresh Off the Boat was made into a sitcom, it wasn't anywhere near the rawness of your Fresh Off the Boat memoir. It was someone's perspective, and you felt it wasn't your perspective. And you were very open about this. Yeah. Was there ever a concern that the, how open you were about what it was like making a sitcom would have hurt you in creating this movie? Or did you experience anyone saying, we're not going to work with this guy because you badmouthed us in the past? There's a friend of mine. She's actually a really good friend of mine now. I met her in Taiwan. She produced The Farewell. And, and I think the first time I met her, Anita Gao, she's a producer. She was like, you know, before I met you, I didn't know whether to be like scared of you or like love what you're saying. She's like, because I, I relate to it, but it's like scary to say out loud, even though I relate to it. And, and I mean, even my own friends are like that, but I, that's the type of artist I am. Those are my favorite artists. You know, those are my favorite basketball players. The ones that are like, dude, this guy's out to lunch, but he's honest and he speaks from the gut. And it's like, he's really living on the edge and he's living like there really may not be a tomorrow. You know, I was, I was a big Rasheed Wallace fan, Allen Iverson fan, Ron Artest fan. Like I could really relate to those guys. And um, I kind of live my life the same way. But once I get into a room and I sit down and I talk and it's not snatched out of articles or Twitter, I think most of the executives I met were like, Yo, he's a very smart kid and he has very good reason for feeling so strongly about the things he does. And I think that what has helped me is just being consistent and being honest and giving people their room to come around to what I'm saying. Because once they sit with it, they're like, you know what? If I was in Eddie's shoes or if I was in a part of his community, it would annoy me too the way people are telling our story and, and they're starting to see it. And I think there is a bit more duality in America, especially since the George Floyd protests and since the Me Too movement. I think there uh, has been a lot of phenomenal pressure on dominant culture to gain perspective and to kind of adhere to the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated yourself. Going back to the, the, the last point, you hear so many people say, you know, like, don't burn bridges and you have to be super respectful in your jobs and you want to make sure, you know, one, one relationship you make leads to another. Is that the kind of, of advice you give people or do you say, you know, look, I have made my career by talking my truth and being very clear on what I want and how I see the world. Is that what you tell everyone to do? Or is that something that you could do because you feel comfortable owning that? It's a certain personality, you know, and I think if you talk to people who've worked on Wong's world, fresh off the boat, things like that, look, there's people I got an argument, there's people that have been fired from the show, but I still have their respect. And It'll be years later, I'll see someone around at a bar, but yo, I, I didn't really understand what you were saying or why you were putting more pressure on me, but I get it now. 
And one of my best friends was my original executive producer on the first online version of Fresh Off the Boat Advice. His name is David Laven. And David and me were like just two peas in the pod from day one. We had the best time making our show. But after the success of season one, it became like, all right, season two, is Eddie going to get more control or is Dave going to get more control? And it became like an issue of like, who really made season one great? And, uh, you know, it was a power struggle. It was an argument. Dave ended up leaving the show. And Dave went on to make great shows with like Adam McKay at Amazon. Dave worked with Michael K. Williams, Black Market. He did all kinds of advice on HBO. But he called me one day and we were talking about getting back together. He said to me, he said, look, you were really intense. But what I miss is that when we did shows, the camera goes on and you're just like, you're a torpedo. You just go. And he's like, it would hurt my feelings because I didn't have anything to produce in the scene. I had a lot to do before and I had a lot to do in post, but in scene, you're just gone. And he's like, I had to really come to terms that you didn't need me in scene. Hmm. But then it was funny. I turned to him and I said, dude, I needed you the whole time. Like, I may not need you in a micromanaging way, but you know how much I missed you when I didn't know what to do and I turned around and you weren't there? Maybe I didn't need you 90% of the time, but that 10%, you're the only person that would have had an answer for me. And he also said he just missed the intensity of working with me because every day I show up, I want to win a championship. You know, and, and whether it's a Monday or a Tuesday or a regular Wednesday, I just wanted to be the best every single day. And I wouldn't leave the office if we couldn't solve a problem, if we couldn't figure something out. I wanted to stay and figure it out. And Dave was like, I got better and I gained more working with you than anyone else. But I'm telling you, the day the season is over, I don't want to talk to you for three months. You know? And so that's the relationship. But that's real work. Do you know what I mean? If, if me and Dave never argued and we never had those real conversations, I mean, number one, I wouldn't have one of the best friends I've ever made in life. And number two, our work wouldn't be what it is. It's not just like a blanket thing like, hey, am I going to be really, really political and follow all the rules and not burn any bridges and compromise on everything and be happy and everybody loves me? Or am I going to fight for the vision and I'm I going to work to the necessary limits to make something great that I'm proud of, that when I die, I can say I gave it a thousand percent. I gave it all I got. And, and that's me. You know, like I, I'm very, in a way, fatalist. And hmm. it's about finding your people and it's about creating your tribe. And then it's about having your method and playing your game. And I learn a lot from basketball. Like Greg Popovich has a system and he has players that work in that system. Steve Kerr has a totally different system. Even though he learned a lot from Popovich, you know, that team extends much further out past the three-point line. They do a lot more action on the perimeter. Popovich teams play a little bit more inside out. They play defense the same way. But I learned a lot from basketball where it's like, it's not about having the number one ranked player or the number one ranked actor. It's about knowing what you want to accomplish and creating a system with the people that fit in your system. And Eddie, you clearly have a vision of what you want to accomplish. You are not afraid to jump around and cross industries and cross disciplines. You've written a memoir, you had your own restaurant, you've been in the streetwear business, you were a corporate lawyer, and now you are making movies. 
what's the process for becoming a expert in any of these areas that you enter? Again, I'm going to use sports as an analogy because like I, I am an attorney, but I, I didn't really learn the way other kids learned in school. I, I learned a lot through sports. And as it pertains to career, I will gather as much information as I can. I will talk to people that do it. But at the end of the day, I know what you read, what you hear, what you see is there is a ginormous chasm between information and action. And when it comes to boxing, there is no way to learn how to fight besides sparring. You can hit the mitts all day, the heavy bag. You can be the best guy on the speed bag, the double end. But if you flinch when a punch comes, you close your eyes, you look down, you're dead. And the only way that you build up this ability and experience to see a punch coming and keep your eyes open and move your head, move your body, is from seeing punches, is from being hit, is from getting knocked down and deciding to get up and wanting to eat again and going every single day. And to me, um, when it comes to work, look, man, you, you just got to do it. And that, that's why I did it. I saw a lot of my friends in my 20s. A lot of my friends are smarter than me. Like I got a friend, Omid Fatemi. He's in the credits of the movie too. Omid has watched a thousand more movies than me, a hundred more books. It, he is literally the internet. Like he's faster than Google. I, I can't ask Omid a question. He'll give me an answer faster than Google. But what Omid always says is he's like, but your gift, Eddie, is you'll just jump you'll just do it. Like I'll think about it forever and then I'll look at a page and not write, but you could just jump. And I don't know if it's my ignorance or stupidity, but I just do it. And I've embarrassed myself and I've failed. And like I got a zero star review when I opened this restaurant, Shaoyeh. But man, I learned from it. And I always believed in myself and I really surrounded myself with people that love me no matter what. Like even if I failed, they were like, yo man, like you have talent. I saw the vision. You tried hard. These were the mistakes. Try again. You got this. And so I surrounded myself with people that just love and believe in me. And I can stand up when I fail. And, and I think you have to do that. If you're scared to fail and you're like always studying it from the outside, but then never jumping in. I have so many friends from my 20s that that was the difference between me and my friends that are creating and the friends that are now accountants or lawyers or just working at a desk, you know, is we jumped, hmm. we failed, and we kept doing it. How did you adjust from corporate to writing in media? And do you ever miss practicing law? You know, I miss working at the Innocence Project. I used to really love working at the Innocence Project and Vanessa Podkin because I really felt like I was doing something good. And I was really helping people and on a frontline level. I missed that. But I also enjoy reading cases. You know, reading cases is fun. Like sometimes something happens in the news and I'm like, oh, let me check it. Let me see if I can read that case or borrow a friend's LexisNexis or something like that. Go check it out. But it's really just for fun, for kicks. I don't miss being an attorney. I don't like the environment of, of an adversarial justice system. I do think truth comes out from struggle and from fighting at times, but yeah, I don't think our system works that well. I think we need to innovate. So no, I don't miss the law as much. Going from corporate to writing, I think at corporate, you're really serving like a master. And there are so many rules and there's so many rails and there's so many things that you're not allowed to do or not allowed to say. And 
I think it's very important to just number one, free your mind first, because there are so many subconscious pressures, the wall closing in on you. And you kind of get detached from who you are and how you feel. And, you know, I, I would feel that pressure coming in at times, but then I would do crazy shit. Like I gave myself a haircut in the office once because I'm like, I'm so sick of being here. I'm going to cut, I could cut my hair. Then like, it wasn't like some Britney Spears shit, but I, I cut my hair. And there's nothing wrong with the Britney Spears. I love Britney Spears, free Britney Spears. But I cut my own hair. I started selling weed to other people at the firm. And then I, I would just, you know, leave work and go promote parties. And I was like, this place. So I, I think it's very important to like follow your emotions. And you worry about the drop down or the fall down, but it's never that far. That's Failing yeah. doesn't hurt that bad. And I'm lucky enough that I had so much failure and I had so much pain growing up in my family that I would sit there sometimes and be like, man, this is terrible what just happened but I'm still here and I'm still breathing and I'm still able to see the beauty in the world. And that was the most reassuring thing that like the end and the bottom is not that bad. Hmm. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee quite simply isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. I was reading your first memoir, and you talk about losing your job at the law firm. And you said was something like, it was the first day of my life. I felt like I was born again is the exact quote. I think for most of us, and I've been fired from a job, I've been laid off during the same Great Recession, and you just feel, I think for most of us, we feel this panic and this shame. And for you, it was something very different. It was like, all right, what's next? What's next for Eddie? Everyone at my law firm was crying and sad. I couldn't understand. You, you know, your parents are attorneys. You planned your whole life around this. People in your community expect this of you from a certain class. It's scary to fall from like a class or from a standard. I mean, my, my dad had a steakhouse, you know what I mean? Like he made money, but my dad was Hoodridge. So, you know, like he was still wearing bootleg Versace and doing goofy stuff. He moved us to a gated community in high school. And even then it was like, we still didn't get respect because it's like, your dad don't know how to spend his money or he spends it in a Hoodridge way. So it was just like, I never put much stock in belonging to that community, but I wanted to share something with you that helps me a lot. It's from this book, The Tao Te Ching, and this is actually my favorite translation of it. The Stephen Mitchell translation is quite good. This is not a religion. This is a philosophy, but I think it applies a lot to what people are asking. And chapter nine very quickly says, fill your bowl to the brim and it will spill. Keep sharpening your knife and it will blunt. 
Chase after money and security, and your heart will never unclench. Care about people's approval, and you will be their prisoner. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. And now these are very, very hard things to put into action and difficult to understand. And I had to remind myself this week, you know, because I, I will hang on every good review and I'll hang on every bad review. And, and it's tough. But then, you know, I had a friend. Uh, it was actually the actor of our film, Taylor Takahashi, said to me, yo, I've never seen you care what anybody thinks. You just do it. Why is it bothering you now? And I said, you know what? I fooled myself. Every 10 years, I'll fool myself. I was like, I love film. And I love the film community. And I actually really love the art film community, even though I'm not like really one of them. And I don't make things like Criterion. But I love Criterion. And I love studying it. I love learning it. But like, it's like certain dishes out of certain people's hands, they're just different. Like I cook this way. Everything I write, everything I say, it comes out this way. And my films don't belong in Criterion. They belong in the cult section or the pulp section. Like that's just the type of guy I am. But like sometimes you want membership. Sometimes you want approval. And, and it was it was from Taylor and then a lady friend of mine was like, yo, you never wanted approval from anyone. And just because you like these guys and you like this community doesn't mean you need their approval. You got to let it go and you got to like stand strong. And, and that's when I went back to the Tao Te Ching because this is a book I read as a kid that gave me a lot of strength and helped me find myself. So I, I highly recommend it. All right. Eddie, what kind of advice do you give people say, you know, I want to be just like you. I want to start a restaurant. I want to make a film, whatever it is. When they come to you for career advice, what do you say? Number one, I say be you. I really appreciate it and it's flattering that someone wants to be me, but like you're you and it, it could be better and it could be worse, but you're you and you can't do nothing about it. You're not going to be me and I'm not going to be you. And I'll say, I have my idols too. You know, I really looked up to Tony Bourdain a lot and he mentored me in, in so many ways, but we were just fundamentally different in the best ways. And I loved how different I was. And, uh, you know, another one I really look up to is Juno Diaz. Like Juno Diaz to me is the greatest writer of our generation. And I read his books front to back. I really study what he does. And, and it's funny because when I, I go in reading Juno wanting to learn something, I'm like, I can't play. This is a totally different game. This is Juno's game. I got nothing to, t to take from this. I got nothing to learn. This is purely just for my enjoyment and that this man exists and his work exists and it's amazing. And I do me. And then at least funny enough, we've become friends and he respects me too. And it's, it's cool like that. I, I never want to be someone else. And I hope you wouldn't want to be someone else, but it is really cool to just know, man, there's someone else that understands me and I connect to, and, and there's a mutual respect. And that's, that's really great. That's great. Last question for you, Eddie. Throughout your career, made a point of trying to understand what's coming next and of poking holes in conventional wisdom. Just because everyone accepts something doesn't mean that is the way it needs to be done. I wonder if there's something you are looking at today where you're saying, that's messed up. Anything that you are seeing out there right now where you're saying this is an area where I want to start speaking up about? Well, I've been speaking out a long time, but but the thing that I'm always speaking out about is intersectionality, solidarity, and our belief as Americans in diversity. I also think that there are a lot of conversations going on right now about policing and, and brutality and things like that. And they're very important conversations. And one thing I'd like to bring up is that I think part of the solution to a lot of things we may be fighting about 
on a micro level, on a ground level, is economic opportunity. You know, when we start to see these bills about relief, you know, for years, I was a very big UBI guy. You know, the stuff that Andrew Yang was talking about, I was talking about for a very long time. We agree on a lot of those things. But I want people's minds to change. Since the 80s, Ronald Reagan, there's this idea of trickle-down economics and that if you give breaks to the rich, then they will trickle down the poor. It has been proven so many times over so many administrations. This absolutely does not work. We need to kind of stimulate business at the lowest working class level, okay, and watch the money pile up. That's what I am a proponent of. Another big thing is Republicans like to talk about federalism. They love states' rights when it comes to like abortion laws or gun laws. And when they want to like maintain personal freedoms, they love to speak about federalism and state power. But when they talk about economics, they do not apply ideas of federalism because federalism applied to the economy would put more money in the hands of individuals, enable them and encourage them to open small mom and pop businesses. You know, you could even enable small Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, you know, technology entrepreneurs. These things are all accessible now. We should have much more access to money and grants and, and also tax-free, you know, for, for the first million or $2 million you make, you know, as a small business owner. Because if we can generate small business, someone who has $500,000 they're going to spend that money. Someone who has $50,000 is going to spend that money. Someone who has a billion dollars is going to sit on that money, right? And we talk about experimentation when it comes to federalism, and that's the big thing. States as laboratories, getting to experiment. What better way to experiment than to give money to small business entrepreneurs? That's what needs to happen because we're always giving money to the big guys, and it's, it's inefficient, it doesn't trickle down, and it just ends up in the goddamn Cayman Islands. Well, I'm sure we have a lot of small business owners who are cheering wildly and nodding their heads, <laughs> uh, saying, absolutely, bring it on. Eddie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. It was Take phenomenal. Care. That was Eddie Huang. His new film, Boogie, is out now. It was a great conversation with Eddie. I really loved the whole thing. What really struck me was when Eddie pulled out the Tao Te Ching and declared that this was the book that had made him and everyone should go and read it. I've never had that happen before. There has never been an interview where someone said, this is what everyone who is watching this interview right now has to go and read. So I would love more recommendations. What is the one book you would recommend if you were sitting in the chair? Post that book on LinkedIn using the hashtag, this is working. As always, to get more news and insights on our changing world, you can follow our main LinkedIn page, which you can find by searching for LinkedIn News. Please share this podcast episode with a friend who is driven to making their own path in the world. And if you can leave a review, we love that. That is how people find this episode. You can also sign up for the newsletter about this podcast, which you can find on my profile. Thank you so much. This is Working as a production of LinkedIn. The podcast was produced by Sarah Storm with help from Dave Pond and Michaela Greer. Joe DiGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original video and audio. Dave Pond is our technical director. I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Stay strong. See you soon.